All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you from the Borough of Queens. It is the ninth day of August 2022. I'd like to remind you I produce and I publish a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can subscribe to that by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. And we like to promote Chen Lin's letter as well. What is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? Go to uh, chenpicks.com for that uh, for that letter. And uh, Chen really has some very exciting things in the biotech sector that I am also following in my newsletter, miningstocks.com, uh, or J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, which you can subscribe to at miningstocks.com. I do want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. also like to encourage you to send along Whatever comments you have about this show, to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And we want to thank our sponsors uh, for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors this week, Irving Resources, Noble Resources, El Oro Resources, SK Mining, Timberline Resources, and Lion One Metals. I've titled today's show, Gold and the Upcoming Recession. That's from Alistair McLeod's latest letter, and he is a guest along with Quentin Henning today. Alistair wrote, in the follow- wrote the following in his July 21st weekly missive, and I quote, we are now seeing the initial stages of a currency, credit, and banking crisis develop. Driving it are an, information, an inflation of prices, con- uh, contraction of bank credit, and a pathological fear of recession. One can imagine that the major central banks almost wish a mild recession upon us so that they can keep interest rates suppressed and bond yields low. The key to understanding the course of events is that the cycle of bank credit is turning down, and this time the factors driving contraction are greater than anything we have experienced since the 1930s and possibly in all modern monetary history. Alistair stated in the introduction to his letter, that, and I quote, this article joins the dots between inflation and recession and puts the relationship between money, that is only gold, currencies, credit, and commodity prices into their proper perspective, end of credit. Well, we'll certainly ask Alistair to help connect those dots as we talk to him in the second half of today's show and to help us understand what that might mean for us as we navigate uh, what seems to be some very troubled waters ahead of us. So we look forward to Hearing what, uh, look, look forward to Alistair's guidance in the second half of today's show. Of course, the current political trend in America continues. If it does continue, we will no longer have to worry too much about investments because 
in a dictatorship, the Democrat Party backed, well, let's say the Democrat backed World Economic Forum are seeking to put in place, in the words of Klaus Schwab, a world in which they, meaning the masses, will own nothing and they will be happy. So if we own nothing, I guess we don't have to worry too much about our investments. Well, if you think seriously about what the Department of Justice and the FBI did last evening in raiding the home of former president uh, of a former president, you might well be uh, have reason to to wonder what's going on here. To the extent we can still hope and believe our elections are free, now more than ever, citizens who understand what is at stake need to be sure to get out and vote in November. Actually, I expect to talk more about America's current and accelerating move towards what looks like a fascist dictatorship with Doug Casey, who is scheduled to be my guest next week. But getting back to today's show, in the second segment, Dr. Quentin Henning will provide an update on SK Mining that was pre-recorded last Saturday, August 6th, because uh, Quentin had to travel uh, to Australia uh, this week. And when I went to my desk this morning, I received an instant message from Quentin uh, from his wherever he is down in Western Australia, <clears throat> he advised me that SK Mining just put out a press release, and that's what Quentin was going to talk to us about, as I just noted, SK Mining giving us an update. Well, he did pre-record on August 6th, but just this morning on August 9th, SK came out with some very positive news. Um, remarkably, uh, when Quentin sent me this message, after 38 hours of air travel, he actually offered to come on the show live today, but when we talked a little bit more about it, uh, he and I both figured it was probably better after 38 hours of travel that he get a little shut-eye and, and rest a little bit. Uh, so I think he was really happy um, to, to do that. Uh, in my interview with Quentin, which you will hear in a few minutes from now, nothing has changed uh, with today's press release except that SK Mining, except that things have actually gotten better. SK, uh, as reported in today's news release, has discovered yet another volcanic massive sulfide, that is VMS for short, a VMS center at the Jeff North, and that has uh, intercepted polymetallic VMS mineralization in two areas along the TV and Jeff corridor. If you listen to Quentin's discussion, you will hear him mention uh, some exciting news reported last week regarding a new VMS discovery at another location on uh, the company's gigantic SK district property named Scarlet Ridge. Well, picking up on the news from last week, SK Mining's Vice President of Exploration, Dr. John DeDecker, said the following in today's press release, and I quote, As with the Scarlet Ridge Tarn Lakes VMS corridor, the TV Jeff VMS corridor is proving itself to be another large VMS complex with sulfide mineralization focused along multiple syn volcanic fault structures, each closely associated with intense hydrothermal alteration of volcanic rocks. The discovery of Jeff North now extends the strike length of the known TV Jeff VMS corridor to 3.7 kilometers. Importantly, recent drill holes completed in two areas have yielded and intercepts of polymetallic sulfide mineralization with abundant calcopyrite and sphalerite, also encouraging anomalous geochemical results recently received from soil samples collected at the very start of 2022 exploration season indicate mineralization potentially extends another two kilometers further north 
from Jeff North. In other words, a 5.7 potential kilometers. So the potential tonnage and the grades, if they hold up, uh, portend something that's very, very significant, I would suggest, uh, for SK mining. Um, so, of course, I'll be writing a little more about this in my newsletter this weekend, so those of you who are subscribers will want to pay some attention to that, I think. Um, this is really certainly one of my favorites, SK Mining, uh, and one I think you might want to pay close attention to. Well, we do have to go to break now, uh, but uh, when we come back, Dr. Quentin Henning will be with us. Uh, the pre-recording um, that we did on Saturday, you'll hear that, um, and you'll hear some very good news even before today's even more positive news. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Quentin Henning. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to tell you that Quentin Henning is with me once again this time to give us an update on SK Mining, which is in the process of outlining a very major precious metals-rich VMS deposit, in, or maybe deposits, uh, could be more than one the way it looks, in the same belt of rocks as one of the richest mines in Canadian history uh, was hosted, and that uh, is the SK Creek Mine. Um, and so we're really glad to have Quentin here. I understand an awful lot of things have happened since we last talked to him on May 31st. So thanks so much for joining me, Quentin. Thank you, Jay. Pleasure to be here. It's really good to have you. And, um, you know, I just want to know if you can give us an idea of what's going on. I, I know that, you know, a lot of work was done over the last couple of years, uh, a lot of different targets that were outlined, uh, the TV, Jeff being a, a couple of them that uh, I think there's the prospects of those two joining, and I think probably you're working on that this summer, but a lot of other things going on. So uh, just just give us an update on on what people need to know about this uh, about this project. Certainly. Look, this is a, a year of growth as we see it. We're really stepping out and testing new targets. The hope is to identify uh, some new massive sulfides that have precious metal-rich, you know, attributes like we've seen at TV and Jeff. So what we're doing, uh, let's, let's kind of do a recap 
uh, I'll pick up kind of on some of the points you made, and then I'll talk about what we're doing this year. All right, so Eskate Creek was uh, an incredible deposit. It was mined in the 19, late 1990s into the 2000s, and the head grade life of mine was an astounding 46 grams per ton gold. It also had 2.2 kilograms of silver per ton. So one of the most remarkable things about that mine was the the silver paid for gold production. Oh. Okay, So it was basically a negative dollar cost production. Yeah, it was for the gold came along for free. <laughs> it was an amazing, amazing story. All right, now, you know, uh, what is it? It's a VMS, a vulcanogenic mass of sulfide deposit. So these are seafloor black smokers that came up, in this case, around 180 million years ago, and they burped out a bunch of sulfides onto the seafloor. People have seen videos of these probably in, over time and science documentaries and stuff, but, uh, you know, the seafloor is, is active. There's a lot of hot springs and a lot of activity down there forming ore bodies. And, and, you know, occasionally when these things form, they get shoved up onto the continent, and we now can explore them. So uh, here at Eskate Creek, we basically have a camp. Now, Skeena Resources has taken over the, the old barrack ground. Okay, so the barrack mine, uh, uh, you know, Eskate Creek mine is now under control of Skeena. And what they're doing is advancing to feasibility study the the lower grade. It's not low grade, but a lower grade material around the old mine. All right. So they're they're moving forward on a, a resource that's, you know, at least I think it's at least five million ounces, something like this. And it will support a, a large scale mine, say four hundred thousand ounces per year. So really good outcome there. It's gonna kind of rejuvenate re- rejuvenate that whole story. But we've got all the grounds surrounding. Okay, we've got about five hundred and twenty six square kilometers of very prospective ground, and we effectively control the rest of the geological district, if you will, uh, for these VMS deposits. So VMS occur in clusters. We all know that. Usually when you find one, there's others. And we think we have the rest of the belt. All right, so TV and Jeff, the areas that we've worked in the past couple of years, we've drilled uh, pretty robustly at this point. They're still open for expansion. And we will be, we'll, we'll continue drilling to expand those. But we recognized late, late last year as they did more and more field work that there are other VMS systems across the property. Uh, we found this new area we refer to as Scarlet Ridge. And it includes now two, two other targets nearby. One's called Scarlet, uh, Scarlet Valley and then the other one's Scarlet Knob. And then we have a, a place called Tarn Lake. So there's really four VMS systems that we can identify up in the northeast part of our property. And those are those are currently being drilled. Uh, then we have down at TVHF done a lot of work along strike. So we've expanded our, our vision towards new VMS systems along the belt at TVHF over about a five or six uh, linear kilometer strike. And we've been drilling systematically, testing new targets along that belt. And so that's that's going to be a very exciting component of this. Our hope is to, by the end of the season, identify, not, not necessarily drill out by any stretch, but identify, you know, more VMS deposits on the property and, and demonstrate to the world that we, we do have the, the scope or the you know, ability to generate a very, very large endowment uh, of mineralization here. So we're we're uh, very keen on 
testing these at least with first pass drill, you know, test this year. Like if we can poke a hole in a couple of these, even uh, that would be very exciting. But then, you know, looking ahead, once we find these additional VMS, we'll drill them, drill them out systematically from there. So it's really a matter of just building inventory at this point. You know, building, finding new deposits, building inventory. I think, I think the the area like it's just incredibly ripe like every time the guys go out and we have a cracker jack crew you know the the guys from the school of mine john de decker and his team every time they go out they find new sulfide mineralization and and new areas too you know i've I've talked about tv and jeff and the scarlet ridge region but they're starting to see mineralization on the west side of the anticline over at at uh, TV Jeff, so you know TV Jeff were basically on the same anticline as SK Creek, the, the original deposit, but they're seeing mineralization at, at a place we call Excelsior, which is on the west side of the anticline. So that's a new discovery that, that's kind of starting to take shape. Um, there's some other areas uh, to the south as the snow melts are starting to move in and explore in, in new places, and they're starting to turn up sulfides down to the south where we know we have really good really strong gold anomalies and stream sediments down around c10 and stuff so now this this property is going to deliver it's just a remarkable opportunity to to find the next generation really of uh, uh high-grade gold systems here in the golden triangle mm-hmm. uh yeah i'm just looking at a uh, I, i'm looking at an image it shows tv and jeff and there's like two kilometers that that uh, between the two, at least uh, the diagram that I'm seeing, is there some potential there for these two to connect? Is I think that's what the thought was, right? Are you? Is that? There, a, yes, there is a potential. Now, at which uh, level? If it's the upper, you know, there's yeah. what's really interesting is there's multiple levels of EMS systems in this area. So we basically have kind of a stack, if you will, and we're trying to figure out exactly at what level these things connect. It, it uh, will probably be dis- determined by the end of the season because we have several fences of drill holes that test that area between the two, uh, but we don't know quite yet. We don't know just yet. All right. And so you're drilling now things. How much of the drill season, I mean, how much drilling has been done compared to what you plan to do for the, for the entire season? Certainly. Look, the, the plan's 30,000 meters this year, a very robust drill season this year. And the, the team has done uh, just under 15,000 meters right right this moment as we speak. So they're making great progress. Uh, to put it in perspective, uh, we, we managed to drill, I think it was just under 24,000 meters last year by the middle of September. This year, by the middle of September, we, we could be close to 20. 28,000 meters the pace we're going because this is early August right now. So they're, they're doing well. I think we'll easily get the 30,000 meters we've targeted. Uh, and we're going to have, you know, a, lo- a lot of news flow. Uh, assay turnaround is supposedly going to be quicker this year. At least we're hoping. Uh, I haven't seen, you know, just an absolute, you know, heard, seen or heard uh, other companies, you know, uh, saying, ah, oh, assays are flying in. Yeah. <laughs> but. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll be hopeful, but in the meantime, we'll we'll you know drill the holes we plan, and you know, we'll wait patiently. Yeah, well, certain some projects, uh, you know, smart geologists can visually determine or have some sense of what they're seeing in the core. Uh, is there is there that ability here? I mean, I would think if you're seeing sulfides, Certainly. that would be a, that would be a good a good sign. 
Certainly. When they see sulfides, and we put this out in two news releases that were issued in July, there's two updates that people should revert to. And and they see lots of stock work and replacement sulfides. So we know we're in, into some new systems. Uh, really, really juicy-looking rock, quite frankly. You know, um, precious metal content is yet to be determined, but we're very optimistic with what we see. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly you have a great team there, and I know you've talked about Dr. John DeDecker uh, is a is really an expert on VMS systems, and he's, I guess, leading your exploration efforts up there. Uh, are you funded well enough to go through this season? Hopefully we don't have to raise more money in the middle of the season. Uh, it, right now it looks like we are. We've got more money that's coming in. Um, we had, if you wind back the clock to 2020, um, there was a funding, I think, in early June. All those warrants came in. And then there was a, another funding in around uh, mid-August here, I believe. And and I you know I don't keep up with the the finance sure. side of this, but um, I'm pretty sure they're seeing the warrants come in, and that that should fund by and large the the rest of the program. So I think the company is now take you know if they if they want to drill some more, like if they hit thirty thousand meters, say by the third week in September. Yeah. I don't know, you know, but yeah. Uh, yeah. right now it looks like we have have a run budget we'll call it well i guess uh, it, always patience is required um especially when you have projects that are so large with so many different possibilities here you know it's not like you can have a couple of drill seasons and have a deposit drilled out but 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 let's say that things come together and sort of connect there at tv and jeff do you think at some point the company will start to focus on on just you know more like pinpoint most of their work resource level yeah yeah like the resource level work will certainly be part of this we're hoping by next next season you know once we've identified these new vms deposits that we can start to drill them systematically and and build that that resource it you know we're starting from scratch whereas you know skina had literally hundreds if not thousands of drill holes to work with yeah so you know it's it's a bit of catch-up we'll call it but uh but Nonetheless, even though we're at earlier stage, I think we got the the biggest part part of this story. Yeah, well, it's really remarkable when you when you realize that Skeena is now taking making a, a five million ounce deposit out of what was considered uh, too low grade in the past and making it something is. very significant out of it. And if they're if they can produce something in the order of four hundred thousand ounces a year, they will become a a significant player in that area. And I'm certain, pretty sure that they're somewhat aware of what you guys are doing down there as well so very very true yeah. it, sh- it should be very interesting quentin i uh, thank you very much for uh, for giving us an update we'll keep our eyes on this and really look forward to hopefully sometime before the end of the year getting some assays huh uh, i think we'll see it before the year end yeah i think we started to see assays come in uh maybe it was october or november last year i'm hoping a little sooner than that this year <laughs> yeah yeah but uh, we'll we'll see all right Thank you so much, Quentin, for being with us and uh, updating us on this very exciting story. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks. Well, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because Alistair McLeod will be with me to discuss the prospects for gold in this upcoming recession. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. 
Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm here with Alistair McLeod, and we're surely hoping that Alistair can help us turn hard times into good times, um, not good times into hard times. So thanks for joining me again, Alistair. That's my pleasure, Jay. Um, I always enjoy having you, um, even even when things aren't so rosy, um, and uh, we do have a lot of things to be concerned about, certainly in many different areas, as we were talking before we went live. Uh, but I'd like to focus today primarily on gold in the upcoming recession and how gold might perform uh, in a recession. Uh, we can certainly look at how it's done in past ones recently and then try to determine how this time might be different. I don't know. We'll, we'll hear what you have to say about that. Well, whenever you start your, um, your articles, you always have a sort of an executive summary at the start that lets the reader know what's coming and what the major points are. And you started out the one on July 21st that's titled Golden and the Upcoming Recession. You started out by saying, and I quote, we are now seeing the initial stages of a currency, credit, and banking crisis develop. Uh, And as you've said many times in previous discussions on this show, we no longer really have business cycles. We have what is really a credit cycle. And recessions and depressions are caused by the contraction of credit. But in your article, uh, this one, uh, July 21st article I referred to, you, you said uh, you began by pointing out uh, to, uh, the sanctions of Russia are as a major contributor to this downturn. So if recessions are caused by credit contractions, can you explain how sanctioning Russia is contributing to this particular one? Uh, yes, certainly. I think the easiest way to understand it is to put yourself in the shoes of a director of a bank, and let's say a reasonably big bank. Let's say you're even Jamie Dimon, um, who you may recall uh, at the beginning of last month uh, upgraded his 
forecast of the economy from stormy to hurricane. Right. Um, and I, I know we've spoken about this before, I, th I think, on your show. Mm -hmm. um, what he was actually saying is that he is seeing uh, lending risk, um, counterparty risk, increasing very substantially. He sees a downturn in the economy. He sees interest rates rising. When you put all these things together, as a banker, if you have got a highly leveraged balance sheet, which at this stage of the credit cycle, most banks have, I would hasten to say that the American banks are less leveraged than um, banks elsewhere. They're less leveraged than the UK, less leveraged than the Eurozone, less leveraged than uh, uh, Japan, similar perhaps to China. Mm -hmm. Now, this is very important because if you are highly leveraged as a director of a bank and you start getting bad debts or non-performing loans, as they call them, or alternatively, if you see that the bonds you might have on your balance sheet are beginning to lose value as the yields rise because of the interest rate situation, mm -hmm then the losses that you incur are magnified like 20 times for the shareholders. Mm -hmm. This is just on the balance sheet. And um, it's America, I think if you look at, uh, at, at um, uh, JP Morgan, they're around about nine or 10 times. So it's not quite as bad as 20 times, which is the situation in the Eurozone. And it's a situation in Japan for, for all the major global systemically important banks in those two jurisdictions, they are incredibly highly leveraged. <clears throat> and I think the, the common factor behind it has been uh, negative interest rates. Anyway, mm -hmm. the, point, yes. the point is that if you're a director of a bank, you see the uh, economic outlook turning, what do you do? You stop lending. And what you do is you call in loans where you can. You t tell um, uh, SMEs, you know, the small and medium-sized enterprises, um, you know, we're not going to renew your overdraft facility when it comes up for review in um, next month, for example. So this is contraction of bank credit. Now, nobody in the system, I mean, by the system, I mean, in the establishment, in, in government, um, in, in the Treasury, or indeed in the Fed, seems to understand this point. And that is that, you know, if you look at GDP, all it is, it's the sum total of credit transactions, transactions done through bank credit. Okay, there may be a little bit of, you know, banknotes transactions, but it's very minor, believe you me. It's probably no more than um, a 20th or a 30th of the, t of the, of the total. Uh, so, um, you know, what is this GDP? It is the sum total of transactions in bank credit. Now, the assumption, if you read all the uh, analytical stuff that's coming out of Wall Street brokers, you know, they're talking about a downturn in the economy because the consumer is not spending or there is not supply or, you know, whatever. That's actually not the point. The point is that the banks are taking the rug out from underneath the economy because they are frightened about the consequences of being over leveraged into a falling economy. <laughs> so what you're going to see with bank credit, uh, sorry, with GDP is contracting mm -hmm. bank credit, taking GDP down. That is the importance of this point in the credit cycle. And that was really the point I was making in that article.
Right, and of course, quantitative tightening just just started just recently. I think we've gone to the full night. Is it ninety billion in the U.S.? Ninety billion. The Fed is taking back now um, after an extraordinary amount of, of juice that's been added to the system, uh, starting with well, starting with um, with with uh, QE with uh, with the uh, epidemic. Yes, of course, and um, uh, you know they're doing this in that sense too late. Um, what they're likely to do is once they begin to see GDP contracting, in other words, bank credit rarely contracting and affecting GDP, they're likely to stop quantitative tightening and reintroduce quantitative easing. Because, the, uh, you know, the only way in which they can keep GDP up is to replace bank credit with their own version of money. And mm. that basically is QE, which bolsters, guess what? bank credit. But it, what it does is it does it in a specific way. It gives funds to insurance companies and pension funds to spend in their portfolios. And that uh, money leaks out into the general economy. And also by hopefully supporting financial assets in the more general sense, means that confidence in the economic outlook is retained uh, by the normal sort of, if you like, actors in mainstream. That in Main Street, that is the idea behind uh, trying to keep markets up rather than letting them fall. It's all about engendering confidence um, in the population about the economic outlook. Because if you see falling share prices, you think, well, obviously things ain't so good. So. <laughs> You know, if they're, if they're holding up in the face of um, bad news, well, perhaps things aren't so bad after all. That's yeah. the level of thinking we have in the central bank, I'm afraid. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Even though it's all artificial, essentially. It's money created out of nothing uh, that props up prices. And, of course, in the process, Alistair, there's this reallocation of wealth from the system, from the society. To those that already have money, they can make a lot more money in this casino. Uh, in your article, you 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 also noted, uh, or you made the statement that uh, you, you suggested that the best thing the Fed should do, or what it should really do, is do what the Fed did back in 1920, 21. It was a newly created institution then. I guess it hadn't learned new tricks too much then. But what it did was uh, really, it, uh, it you know, it stopped. It, it it really cut. I guess it really cut to the chase and and took credit away early on, right? It didn't allow things to get out of hand so much. Yes, I mean, basically what it did was it stood back along with the government. Um, you know, long, long experience had taught the government in particular, and as you say, the Fed was a new institution at that time, but the governments of the day knew that the last thing they should do is inter intervene in a process uh, where uh, you've got a, a slump in the economy. And sure enough, um, the recession that you're talking about, or the slump, it was very deep, but it only lasted about 18 months. And that was from uh, 1921 to 1922. Um, compare that with um, Hoover intervening, followed by Roosevelt intervening. And I mean, they just basically um, made the whole of the 1930s, you know, a complete depression. So. So uh, that is the difference between government non-intervention and government intervention, so starkly shown in two succeeding slumps. And was it uh, Lord Keynes primarily responsible for this evolution of thinking, uh, the idea that uh, an, an interventionist government, an interventionist uh, central bank, that is, uh, you know, 
stimulating the demand side of the economy was the solution. So let's well, just have government spend to pick up the demand when the private sector, when it isn't there in the private sector. Yes, he he was the leading one of the leading economists at the time um, saying this, but there were others like Irving Fisher and so on, who uh, all sort of took similar um, attitudes. But I think Keynes is probably um, uh, most uh, uh, known as um, a you know recommending government stimulus. In other words, when the economy um, weakens or goes into recession, the slack has to be taken up by government spending to stimulate the economy out of its recession and to be fair to Keynes in those days even though this was a you know a, a fallacy but in those days uh, he um, uh, basically said that over the business cycle uh, mm -hmm. then um, you know the, the government could recover its financial position uh, through increased tax revenue mm -hmm. and the interesting thing is that you've got a lot of people who claim to be free marketeers now um, talking about well, the best thing to do is to cut taxes, run a deficit, and then, uh, you know, we'll pick it up on growth later. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, the, these mistakes are still being made. Those are the supply-siders in the Republican Party, essentially, the monetarists, essentially, I guess. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, and, yes. And, and they don't understand the need to have honest money. They don't understand the danger and the damage it's caused. Of course, a lot of those folks are also very strong pro-military, um, pro pro um, you know, pro-aggressive aggressive military action by the, on the part of the, of the American empire. They believe that we should constantly be going, uh, you know, and, and making other countries good like us, I guess. <laughs> anyway. Well, yes, I think, I mean, that's, that's a, a slightly um, a different uh, topic or, or, or yeah, angle on the whole thing. But I mean, there is no doubt that uh, American hegemony is um, being very successfully challenged now. Uh, and uh, I mean, the latest thing over this oil is, is actually fascinating because um, NATO's policies led by America um, have been to try and isolate Russia and also China. Um, and what has happened is that Russia has managed to corral all the oil producers in Asia, including, it now appears, um, the Persian Gulf uh, and um, Saudi Arabia, into working with a combination of China, Russia, um, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, join the BRICS, you know, all this sort of stuff is going on. And if you look at it from um, uh, the Saudis' point of view, I mean, you know, we're telling the Saudis, we're telling everybody that, that fossil fuels are evil and, you know, we've got to cut it all out and we're all going on electricity somehow or other, whenever. Um, where is the future for these guys? Well, the future is Asia. It's not with us. So mm -hmm. really, <laughs> you know, our um, uh, policies, uh, um, uh, anti-fossil fuel policies are just... They, they are a very, very big part of the shift in hegemony away from America into uh, a new Asian super state and uh, those that um, are all part of it. It's a fascinating time to watch that development. And what a mistake for us to make. I mean, the other thing I would say is that while we're paying through the nose for high prices of oil due to our own fault, I mean, there's nobody else that's responsible for it. What's happening is that Russia and Saudi and all the rest of it are quite happy to offer discounted uh, oil prices at current levels to members of their club. You know, so <laughs> we we're paying through the nose and uh, these nations are, are getting it on the cheap and 
um, it's very good economically for them. So, um, you know, whichever way you look at it, I mean, we've made the most appalling errors over energy policy. Uh, it's just it's yeah. just unreal. It's just yeah. handed everything on a plate to to Russia. And, you know, nobody seems to know it. Nobody seems to understand it, which I find really, you know, pretty depressing. Yeah, it, it is. And I, I, I just don't it's hard to understand, uh, except I know we don't hear about it in the media. We don't hear that message in the media. We only hear about you know, this, the notion that we can bring Russia to its knees by with it isn't working very well with these, uh, you know, with our current policies, um, for sure. Uh, why do you what do you think is driving American policy? It, well, it seems to me that it's it's it, it has so much to do with the military. I just see, you know, all of it, there's you know every now and then there's another three hundred, four hundred, five hundred billion dollars for weapons that's sent to uh, that's that's sent to the Ukraine and who buy and who's producing these weapons? Well, um, uh, American armaments businesses basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know that's that's the answer. I mean, it's good business for the boys, and you know that I'm afraid. I'm afraid you're right. It's driving uh, U.S. foreign policy. Um, I mean, you know, look, look at it from the Europeans' point of view. Um, you know, they're being driven into the ground. Germany's got a real problem because it's got no energy. I mean, the gas has been cut off, supposedly because the paperwork with this generator, which was being fixed in Canada mm -hmm. and shipped mm -hmm. back, and, you know, it's not there yet, and they've got to do the testing. So, you know, basically, this is giving Russia the excuse to just sort of sit on its gas and starve Germany into submission. I mean, you've got to bear in mind what actually is Russia trying to do? It just wants to get um, America out of Europe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and right. it's the Europeans who are being squeezed, um, you know, as a result of that policy. What will it take for the Europeans to, I mean, why are they so locked in? Well, that's a top-down uh, issue from the, the, the leaders, the elites that are locked in with the goodies that they get by being part of NATO and part of the system? Yeah, I think it's, um, I, I can't talk about the goodies, but basically it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a hangover from the war. I mean, mm -hmm. bear in mind that America basically set up um, the uh, European Union in the very sure. early days. Um, it also set up NATO and, um, you know, it's the establishment and an outfit like uh, Brussels is essentially so establishment, it can't see anything else. Uh, and uh, so it will follow um, it's establishment uh, situation to the death. And that's basically what it's been doing. It's been killing the German economy uh, completely. And this winter is going to be um, a real horror show uh, through lack of energy. I mean, you Americans know all about a continental climate in the winter. I mean, yeah. <laughs> one thing you want yes, we do. is to keep warm and have food. And it's rapidly moving towards a situation where neither is going to be there. And you've got, you've got, um, uh, um, you know, in Italy, you've got uh, real problems. In the Netherlands, the farmers are are, are uh, striking and, you know, throwing odour at government ministers. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. and this is just the start of it. I mean, we haven't hit the winter yet. So this is not going to be nice in Europe, I can assure you. Okay, so the Keynesians and what, you know, cl clearly what the Fed is trying to do now is to bring prices down by curtailing demand. Uh, but it seems to me if you just forget about the supply side of the supply and demand aspect of pricing, then you're just addressing one half of the equation. Uh, it's not going to work, is it? 
No, it's not going to work. And you're actually not addressing the right thing at all, um, because uh, the thing that really determines prices is human action. Uh, if mm -hmm. I can steal that term from Ludwig von Mises for his great <laughs> work. Sure. Um, you know, it's not government ministers who decide what the price is, say, for a barrel of oil or, say, for um, a Chrysler motor car. No, it's the consumer. And one thing that the consumer looks at is what his buck actually buys. And if he thinks that his buck is going to buy less tomorrow than it does today, what does he do? He gets rid of his bucks and he, you know, by buying things which he doesn't actually need ahead of time. So what you have is you have got a manufacturing slump uh, and at the same time you have got people just trying to get rid of deposits um you know th their deposits and the other side of that of course is that the banks are trying to reduce their balance sheets at the same time so uh, -huh. uh you know you, the, the purchasing power of money um in the hands of the consumer basically sinks towards zero this is why um you know a fiat currency basically loses its value at the end of the day when all that trust in the value of the currency goes it becomes worthless and after all i mean what we're doing is we're doing on a global scale what john law did in 1720 and uh, when his mississippi bubble collapsed and today the equivalent is the bond bubble and the equity bubble the bubble in financial assets derivatives the whole thing when that collapses what happens is it takes the currencies down with it that's going to happen again i mean, i can't see any other uh, outcome so no matter what happens, I think your your view has been that we're going to see higher interest rates. We have to see higher interest rates. And of course, there's some uh, some academics that are suggesting that that's not possible when you have such a high debt to GDP level. But I think what they're ignoring and what they're not taking into account, at least, is the potential for the currency itself to become worth less. And, and of course, we as Americans look at the dollar now as strong relative to your pound, to the euro, to the yen, uh, and we say, oh, we got a strong dollar. Um, but in terms of its purchasing power, if you're losing 9% a year, it's not such a strong currency, I guess. But um, well, so what? Yeah, it's not, yeah, yeah, so we're, we're, we seem to be missing what it seems to me Americans are missing is the notion that somehow we have this strong economy. We are. We're a really strong, financially strong nation. And, you know, you pointed out already on this show that Russia has something like a 17% uh, flat tax compared to our high, high tax rates. They have a debt to GDP of something like 30 compared to 130 for us. Um, you know, they're, they're exporting, they're a net exporter. They're not getting hurt at all by these sanctions, it seems. China, on the, uh, unlike us, have huge amounts of foreign credit and both of those countries are building up gold reserves like mad and yet our people seem to think we can continue to print money even though there's not too many foreigners wanting to buy treasuries i guess they do when you know when when rates go up and we have the highest rate ever you know among the developed countries so uh, i guess at that time then there's foreign foreign buyers of credit uh, of treasuries but um what what is, what, why are we Americans not seeing the big picture here in terms of well, the, geo, the geopolitical picture in terms of economics? Well, I, if it's, it, I don't suppose it's any comfort to, to you, but you're not alone in this. Um, this is not seen throughout the West at all. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so 
um, this is something that's evolving. And what happens is that eventually you end up with a crisis and we know what's going to happen. I mean, we've seen it so many times before. When the banks start contracting their credit, um, banks go bust. <laughs> or they need to be rescued. And uh, then suddenly everybody wakes up and thinks, oh, my God, this is a terrible situation. I didn't think it was like this at all. And, uh, you know, my, I'm going to lose my job or whatever, whatever, whatever. And suddenly, you know, everybody wakes up to the reality of the situation. And also, to be fair to the general public, they are being less misled by the central banks. I mean, we have something called the Monetary uh, Policy Committee, which sets interest rates. You have the FOMC. Yeah. I don't know if you yeah. ever bother to read the minutes, but they never mention money. You know, come uh -huh. on. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, So they don't know what they're doing or if they do know what they're doing, they're not telling us. I mean, how can you expect the public to know, um, you know, to make a rational judgment over the situation? I think that's actually quite unfair to expect them to do so. And of course, all this is just misleading the public. I mean, the idea that uh, you've got to keep confidence going. What's that? That's misleading the public, isn't it? So yeah. um, it, the, the whole situation is is one of keeping the public in the dark. So on this one, I wouldn't so much blame the public. I mean, why should the public be interested in what's going on in the economy? All they're interested in is their little bit of, of life. You know, they, right. they work for someone right. or they've got a little business or whatever it is. What they're interested in is preserving that and improving on it. Um, they're not interested in the big picture and all the rest of it. They, they take that for granted and they should be able to take it for granted, but they're not permitted to take it for granted by the actions of governments and central banks. Mm -hmm. So we have a we have a gold price that has not responded to this inflation uh, so far to any great extent. Anyway, it, uh, I guess maybe in other currencies more than the dollar. It's probably up. It's probably doing a lot better relative to the pound sterling than it is the dollar right now. Um, but we have a lot of games that are being played uh, in, in the paper markets. And as you pointed out in your article, now it seems as though this whole notion of, you know, getting the gold antitrust action committee folks talking about manipulation of the gold markets, it's not so much conspiracy or tinfoil hat theory anymore. It's it really, uh, we've seen some pretty established people coming out and, and uh, admitting it. And in fact, of course, there have been some spoofing uh, uh, charges uh, against some some uh, J.P. Morgan traders and the like, and so it's pretty hard to say that the gold markets aren't being manipulated these days, isn't it? Now, well, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, we had Peter Hambro um, pointing out that the Bank of International Settlements um, has run a secret campaign with the major central banks to suppress the price of gold. I mean, we've we've known about this, but the thing that's different is that we have someone who is actually at the centre of this as uh, as a professional, you mm -hmm. know, now admitting that this is the case. So, yeah, I mean, that's 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 right. Now, I, for a long time, I mean, I, I understand totally the inflationary implications of monetary policy, but um, I felt that this would end in a in a crisis rather than, let us say, um, uh, uh, a 1923 German style hyperinflation. It's not like that at all. Mm -hmm. um, I think what we're going to have is we're going to have a crisis and then the um, uh, expansion of uh, central bank credit to support the whole system is just going to go through the roof. And remember, they've also got to support the government whose, whose borrowings, as you rightly pointed out, 135, 140% or something in America. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's worse in, in, in some states in Europe. 
I mean, under your uh, delightful President Biden, um, while he may, may be asleep at the wheel or the switch or whatever, I think you'll find, I mean, you're rapidly going to move towards 150, 175, 200 percent uh, uh -huh. debt to GDP. And when you take out the government element of GDP, you know, that, if you like, um, means that that debt ratio is even higher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. which arguably you should do because, um, you know, what supports government debt? Well, it's government tax revenue. You don't count it twice. <laughs> you need to take government spending out of the GDP number in yeah. order to make a proper assessment of that debt uh, to, to GDP figure. But yeah. nobody does it, of course. Nobody does it. No. <laughs> well, you don't want to. Yeah, you want to keep deceiving people. I guess that's that's the key. Uh, keep keep uh, people down on the mushroom farm, as they say. Well, uh, yeah, it's a bit of that. It's also, you know, for, for those in the system, it's keep de deceiving yourself. <laughs> I think yeah. that's that is um, a part of it. You know, you've uh, we've talked in the past about Basel III and the regulations against uh, the incentives, at least to discourage derivatives in the precious metals. And yet uh, the article and the information that I saw involved, I guess it was Peter Hambro, or at least people were speculating that Peter Hambro was probably noticing this skyrocketing increase in uh, derivatives in the precious metals markets. Uh, Q2 of this year just absolutely exploded to the upside. Um, what, could you talk about that and, and what what that may be oh. pretending? Yeah, it's it's it hasn't actually suddenly appeared. It's just a reclassification of gold oh, okay. uh -huh. uh, from um, foreign exchange, uh -huh. and um, this is under the Basel III rules. So, <laughs> so it's Basel III that's done that. But what it has exposed is the extent to which um, the uh, Treasury's two principal actors in this, which which um, are obviously J.P. Morgan like big time, and also um, Citicorp or Citibank, or whatever they call themselves nowadays, mm -hmm. um, are the main players in these derivatives. And certainly, I mean, the, you're looking at JP Morgan, um, you know, whose, whose dealers are now up on criminal charges. Um, you know, I mean, they were doing, I think if it was gold, Goldman Sachs, they'd be claiming they were doing God's work. But yes, yes. <laughs> So, well, I mean, the whole the whole sham is 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 beginning to fall apart, uh, Jay. Mm -hmm. I mean, th I think that's one way to look at it. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess it just depends on who you think God is. Uh, if, you think it, <laughs> if you think it's, uh, you know, our, our current chairman of the Fed or if it's Mr. Biden, um, I guess maybe you're doing his work. Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, yeah. So, Jamie Dimon. Yeah, I liked a tweet you put out just the other day. Uh, you say, uh, despite manipulating precious metals prices, J.P. Morgan is still at the heart of the LBMA, SBMA, and COMEX. Uh, so there he is, Jamie Dimon, smiling and uh, yep. and doing God's work, I guess, as you say. Yep. Or what passes for God's work, I think. <laughs> I have to ask you, um, it seems to me that, you know, with China and Russia, you know, again, China has these excess foreign reserves. While we have been digging ourselves into the into the ground that is running these huge deficits and other countries buying our treasuries, China has had net exports and they've had you know built trillions upon trillions of dollars worth of foreign reserves and they're building their gold reserves and so on and so forth. Uh, the well, gold is always in the history, I believe, has always moved from 
uh, you know, has, has always moved to where the wealth is. And clearly, uh, wealth is being generated in, in, uh, in Asia right now, in China and other countries, but China primarily. Uh, what, it seems to me that we are in a position now where they're ex- exerting more and more control over us, and our corporations are so dependent now on Chinese markets making money. The NBA uh, couldn't criticize the takeover of Hong Kong. Uh, and now I notice here that, uh, in fact, the United States is required, uh, if products are made in Taiwan, they have to be labeled made in China and so forth. And if the United States doesn't comply with that, uh, they're in trouble with, uh, with the trade with China. So it seems to me that we've dug ourselves into a political hole in a financial hole, in a political hole, in which we are, you know, in a position of being subservient and very quickly losing our our position as um, as a hegemon. With a minute yeah. left, maybe you comment on that. Uh, yes, I yes, I think that's 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 right. I mean, it's it's part of I'm afraid the decline um, of of the West. I mean, it's not just mm-hmm. America; it's us as yeah. well. Um, uh, compared with uh, Asia, I mean, you you know, you've got basically Asia is completely self-sufficient and and it's also managed to rope in um, you know South American countries and uh, sub-Saharan African countries and of course with the oil thing they've got the, the whole of North uh, North Africa and the Middle East as well I mean you know we are now uh, America Europe and uh, Britain are a small minority in this world um, you know we the idea that we control the rest of it I'm afraid is actually rather falling apart, and um, yeah, we have to kowtow to them, you know, like right. Apple. I mean, the, the, you know, app, as you were saying, Apple has now got to put "Made in China" on exactly. Stuff exactly. It's got made in, you know, I, it's just because, exactly. I, mean, I well, understand the pressures on them. All right, we'll have to leave it go at that, Alistair. You know, we're looking in the rearview mirror now. You and I, we're old guys, and we're looking at the past, and we have to somehow prepare for this future. It's a brain. A brave new world, as they say, and we better be pretty brave the way it looks. Well, thank you so much for being with us, and we'll look to do it again, I hope, sometime in the not-too-distant future. Folks, that's it for this week. Next week, Doug Casey, Michael Oliver, Michael Spreadbarrel of Noble Resources, my guest. Until then, goodbye, and God's blessings to you, and I don't mean the guy in the White House. Bye for now. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.